Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. First Thessalonians chapter three and verse number seven. The Bible says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted, Paul speaking and referring to Timothy as well. We were comforted over you in all of our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we, for your sakes, before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now, God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. And toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Let's be seated and we'll pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the church family that we get to gather with tonight. And in, the, in this moment that we have together, we ask that you'd minister and speak to our strengthen us with might in the inner man. You'd have to help us to be established in our faith until you come. Lord, I pray for those that heard the seed of the gospel this morning, the, the preaching of the gospel. I pray that they would continue to think upon it. Lord, I pray that they would receive you by faith during this Christmas season, that they'd not wait long, that they'd not delay. Lord, help us as we follow up with those that we invited and encourage them. And I pray that you continue to bind us close together. Help us to always be a church family. Help us not to be all program-oriented or all, all business, but help us to be a family that unites together and is always seeking to welcome people. And Lord, just continue to grow us in that way. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight's message or next installment in the in First Thessalonians as Paul's writing out this letter, remember he was very comforted when he heard that things were going well. He had sent Timothy up all those miles, and uh, he said, hey, I, I want you to check on their faith. I know there's some persecution going on there. I know they're facing affliction. I want you to check on their faith. And when, Paul, uh, when Timothy brought back that report that they were doing well, boy, it just caused Paul to be comforted. And that was something that we learned the last time we were together, but we're kind of going to continue on in that thought. Because Paul says, hey, listen, I heard you're standing fast. I hear that you're steadfast in the faith. 
And that brings a lot of comfort and a lot of encouragement into my life. I want to jump right in. Notice the encouragement from their steadfastness. Their steadfastness of faith in verses 7 and not, uh, through 9, Paul was so encouraged by it. I want us just to remember that, that people far and wide, uh, when people pass through and they, they, they come back through and, and visit, they're encouraged by the steadfastness of your faith, of a Grace Baptist Church continuing to gather together, to believe the word, to trumpet it out in the, the community. There's an encouragement that comes from steadfastness in faith. There's an encouragement that is given to other believers when you are steadfast in your faith. Don't be a person that's constantly seeking to be a, a, thermos, a, a, a thermometer that is, that is governed by the temperature of others, but a thermostat that sets the temperature and is, is staying steadfast. Boy, you'll be an encouragement to others. Paul was encouraged by the Thessalonians' faith and their steadfastness in the faith. He says in verse number 7, we were comforted. We were comforted in our affliction. When we are going through persecution, when we are being ostracized, when we're being rejected, and when our word is being denied, and when we are feeling the same betrayal that Christ felt, when we thought about your steadfastness, we were comforted. We are comforted. Don't underestimate the power of your steadfastness of faith, your word of faith. You know, we all come in here at different, different levels. You know, the assembly of the saints isn't perfect, right? We come in here sometimes with, with waning faith. And sometimes we might utter, utter that with a word. Other times it's, it's in, our, in our complexion, our, our attitude. And friends, don't underestimate the power of your, of your faith, of a word of faith to encourage somebody else. Don't underestimate your story of going through a difficult time and, and you relaying that to another brother or sister in Christ and saying, hey, I, I was able by God's grace to remain steadfast and how that might encourage somebody else to be steadfast even in their affliction. In fact, the Bible says that the comfort that God gives us in our affliction, he gives it to us so that we can help other people in their affliction. Um, you remember the Suglios? Their church planning up at Heritage, Heritage Baptist, and uh, she shared um, publicly her testimony, how they've come together, but there was a time that they, they separated and were divorced from one another, and God brought them back together. Uh, Frank got saved, and they shared that story here, and uh, they were just sharing how that God has used the story, the pain of their life, and even their breakup and coming back together to be an encouragement to others. They said uh, they'll never hear somebody say, I'm getting a divorce again without feeling it very deeply. You know, God uses the comfort that he gives to us in our affliction to comfort other people. Paul said, listen, your comfort, your faith, and your affliction, how you are dealing with the persecution up there is a comfort to us in our affliction. Think about that. It was Paul saying to a new, a new set of believers, your, your faith in that moment was a comfort to us we're supposed to be the ones leading out spiritually, preaching the word of God, guiding you, but you've comforted us. What a blessing that was. In all their distress, in their distressing state, in the, the different persecutions, the Holy Spirit used the Thessalonians to encourage Paul. What a blessing. But look at verse number eight. He says, if you stand fast in the Lord, we live. We live. What's Paul getting at? Have you ever uh, heard the statement, um, to get the, the, the wind knocked out of your sails? Have you ever had the wind knocked out of your sails? Literally? 
someone uh, give you a gut punch? Maybe, maybe guys, maybe you can think back to the playground sometime, getting a, getting a gut punch and getting the wind knocked out of you. But we use that figuratively. We talk about you know, hearing something, going through a crisis where it just kind of leaves us without any will to go forward. Maybe it's someone we love very, very much and has passed on, and the wind gets knocked out of our sails. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's something you've heard that has been said about you. Maybe it's, it's grief over a, a loved one who's strayed away from the Lord, maybe a child. But the reality is we all, we all kind of can get our minds wrapped around the wind getting knocked out of our sails. Paul says, listen, when I heard about your faith, it didn't knock the wind out of my sails, it put wind in my sails. It, it gave me rejuvenation. It encouraged me. We live. We're very, very much alive because we hear that you're doing well in your faith. And again, it wasn't just comfort, but he's, he's given this, this picture of, of life that is coming. We live because you are doing very well in your, your faith. And so the Bible helps us to understand that these individuals are doing well and Paul is encouraged and made alive by it. Now, he says, if you stand fast in the Lord. If you stand fast in the Lord. What does it mean to stand fast in the Lord? Well, let's think about the opposite. What's the opposite of standing fast? All right, being loose, up and down. What else? What's the opposite of standing fast? Giving up? Wishy-washy? Okay, there's a good theological definition, wishy-washy, okay? I think James speaks about it, that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, unstable. So you get the idea, the, the, um, to be standing fast in the Lord is to be rooted, is to be grounded, it's not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So they were this, if you stand fast in the Lord, if you stand fast in him, now some people stand fast in opinions or philosophies of this world, they get really rooted in it. Have you ever been around a person that, that every time you get around them, they're saying the same thing over and over like a broken record about some philosophy they're trying to perpetuate, all right? No, he says, if you stand fast in the Lord, if you're rooted and grounded in the Lord, there's a lot of wavering that happens among Christians today. And how he was rejoicing in the fact that they were standing fast in the Lord. The Bible tells us in Philippians 1.27 that we are to stand fast in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. If you do a little search through Scripture, we find that we're told to stand fast in one spirit, Philippians 1.27. We're told to stand fast in the faith, 1 Corinthians 16.13. We're to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. And we're to stand fast in practice, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. That word practice comes from the word in that verse, traditions. Now, sometimes people get stuck on a tradition that isn't, isn't necessarily in Scripture or whatever. But what Paul's speaking about here is we've told you some things to practice. We've told you some things to put into practice in your life. And he says, you stand fast in that. And so there is a need not to throw it out. We live in a day where everything is being questioned, is it not? The word of God is being questioned. Every little thing, well, if it's not clearly in there, if it's not specifically in there, we don't, we don't go along with it. 
there are some practices that have been put in Scripture that Paul says to the Thessalonians, don't, don't buckle on, don't waver on, you stand fast. The idea of standing fast is a powerful thing for believers. And Paul says, when I looked at you all and you're standing fast, we live. We were rejuvenated. Do you remember what 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 58 says? Beloved brethren, be steadfast. Help me out. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we are to be steadfast. And Paul says, I was so encouraged when we saw that you were steadfast in the faith. Notice in verse number 9, for what thanks can we render to God again for you? How can we say thanks? And it didn't just breathe life or give life, breathe life into Paul, but it also caused him to be grateful to the Lord when he saw the steadfastness of faith. When he saw them sticking to their stuff and not allowing the persecution to shake them, how can we thank God enough? There was abundant thanks in Paul's heart. When we see what God is doing in other people's lives, the faith that he gives them, the strength of, of character, well, what a reason for thanks. You step back and realize, I didn't do that. We, we aren't responsible for that. That's a God thing. Paul says, I see that in your life, and I just have to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if God gives you, and I hope he does this year, I hope you're praying this way, that God gives you somebody to lead to Christ this year. And I hope that you'll be active anticipating that. You'll be seeking out that opportunity. But when you have the opportunity to lead them to, um, to faith in Christ and to help disciple them, help them take steps in this coming year, 2024, when you have that opportunity and you see growth in them and you see steadfastness in them, do you realize it ought to be a thing that you just immediately say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's, that's not me. Thank you for allowing me to help them. But that's not me. Thank you, Lord. That's, that's what you're doing in their lives. That's what Paul is saying. How in the world can we say thanks? How can we say thanks enough to God for what's going on in your life? It is God, the Bible says that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God that's working in you. We need to be praying that God will work in, in people's hearts. Paul will get to that in just a moment. But then we need to make sure that we're giving him the thanks like Paul did. Oh, how can we give enough thanks to God for what he's doing in you? But it also inspired joy. How, how can we say thanks to God enough for all the joy wherewith we we joy for your sakes before our, before our God. They made him cheerful. Boy, just put a, a skip in Paul's heart to see what was going on. This world says that drinking a beer will make you happy. The world says watching a show will make you happy. Doing what you please will make you happy. Do you know what makes us happy? Do you know what makes Jesus happy? Doing the will of God. You made him happy seeing his children walk in truth. And for Paul, what made him happy was not if he had all of his wants and needs taken care of and everyone liked him, but it was this, to see God working in people's hearts and then being steadfast in the faith. We need to have a, a, a right source of joy. And I wonder tonight, does the spiritual well-being of others bring you joy? Does the spiritual well-being of your spouse bring you joy? Does the spiritual well-being of your children bring you joy? Does the spiritual well-being of one another bring you joy? When they're not doing so well, does it, does it cause you to have a lack of joy? Does it cause you to be saddened in your heart? 
Why? Because there's a burden there. I, I want to see them do well. For Paul, it brought him great joy to see the, the, the Thessalonians doing well and standing fast in the Lord. This was a selfless joy. You know, as, as Paul looked on, he was miles and miles away from them. What happened in their life, in reality, made no bearing on him day to day where he was. He could forget it. Out of sight, out of sight, out of mind, he could forget it. But his heart was attached to them. And how they did in the faith, it determined the joy that he had. He got joy from, from their well-being. And we ought to as well. So it inspired joy. But I want us to notice as all this brought comfort to Paul and encouragement to Paul, their steadfastness, I want us to realize that Paul launches into a prayer, a very important prayer for the Thessalonians that, that could be a guide for us. It can be a guide for some of the folks that you're seeking to help develop in the faith and help to bring along in their walk with the Lord. And notice the empowerment of their steadfastness. Paul wasn't interested in just a past steadfastness. A, a steadfastness at a moment in history. He wanted them to continue forward and he wanted to help them continue to be steadfast in the faith. And so notice in verse number 10, night and day, praying exceedingly, that we may see your face. Paul, first of all, in wanting to empower their steadfastness, says, you know, I want to come and see you. Now, that's a recurring theme all the way throughout, all the way throughout the, the epistles. In fact, it was interesting, the, the, um, the Corinthians got a little upset at Paul. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, if you read down through there. Uh, they were a bit upset at him because he hadn't come as, as he had planned and hoped to. And uh, he reminded them, listen, we're helpers of your faith, but by faith you stand in the Lord. You remember where to, where to plant your feet. It's not in us, in our presence with you, by faith you stand in the Lord. And so he had to remind them of where their faith truly was. That it wasn't in Paul, it was in, in the Lord and, and helped them through that. Paul here says, I do want to come, and not that my, your faith depends upon me, it's pretty evident that you're doing really, really well, but I want to come and I want to see you face-to-face. -face. There's nothing like a face-to-face -face conversation. FaceTime doesn't cut it, Zoom doesn't cut it, Teams doesn't cut it, whatever uh, other uh, mode of communication doesn't cut it. In fact, as we've come through um, the last several years, there's been a rise in communication in those mediums. But it's interesting now, as, as statistics, data come out, Forbes magazine um, put out an article, and it, it, it was put like this, do people interact, still interact better when in person? Virtual meetings are catching up. Virtual meetings are catching up. And they listed five things in this article uh, that happen when people interact face-to-face uh, -face and connecting with each other. They said, number one, touch builds trust. When there's a handshake, when there's touch, there's human touch. Uh, you pick up on hidden messages when you're interacting face-to-face. -face. In fact, one author said uh, that in face-to-face uh, -face communication, the communication that is coming silently, 7% is verbal feeling, 38% is vocal feeling, how, how we're talking with our voice, the tone of our voice, and 55% is facial feeling. Something that you can very easily miss over the phone or via text, right? Very easily. An email. Have you ever taken something more harshly in email than a person intended it to be written? Yeah? 
I have. It's a reality. Facial expression plays a large part. And Paul says, I want to be with you. Even Paul brought up for the, the Corinthian believers, he, he was worried that, that he had made them sorry by the hardness of the first letter. And he was worried about that. And so Paul was desirous to be there in person with them. Uh, let's not, let's just remember this little, the little side note in, from the Apostle Paul. He wasn't talking about using technology. But let's, let's remember not to allow technology to crowd out personal, personal interaction with each other. Let's value that. Friends, the people that came in here this morning and said we're looking for family, they need, they need more than a live stream. They need more than a text. They need more than a, a brief visit on Sunday. One of the reasons I believe that American churches struggle so much is we are so divided. If we were to plot all of your houses on a map, some of you live 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes and more from each other. And it takes, it takes very, very intentional, deliberate action for us to interact sometimes. And that's why the assemblies are so very important. It's why I kind of get on us for running in and running out of, of, the, uh, of the church and, and try to bring that up from time to time because these are so important. Why? We need this face-to-face. -face. We need this interaction with one another. And Paul says, I want to be with you. Jeannie Philippi, I was visiting her this week, and she, she says, I watched it on live stream, Pastor, but it's just not the same. Right? It's just not the same. It's true. During the pandemic, I'd preached to that back camera there and I remember many, many times over those 70 days leaving and feeling like there was a sense of, you know, it wasn't quite accomplished. Like I, I spoke a message, we did the same thing, but there wasn't an interaction. I didn't know how people were doing. And I, I realized something, I think God taught us something through that time. It is, it is impossible to consider one another through a live stream. They can see a preacher on a, on a platform, but we can't consider each other. I can't look into your eyes and say, there's a burden going on. I, I can't. And that's something we missed during, during those days and ultimately why we needed to come back together and realize we'll treat those types of things very differently if we went through it again. And so there's such a need for that face-to-face -face technology, uh, that face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10.24, we are to consider one another. We're to consider. Let's always be doing that. Let's take what God has given us in these, these moments and let's always be doing that. Paul says, I want to just come up and see you. <laughs> I want to see you. I want to see you face to face. I want to be able to embrace you. I want to be able to give you a hug and give you a handshake and greet you face to face. There are many people who have become content, many believers who have become content to be shepherded by hundreds of pastors via a screen. But they're missing out on what God has given us in the local church being together. There is something truly special no matter the size of the congregation there's something truly special about the assembly of the saints together and being able to see each other face to face wouldn't you agree Amen. so even last night we were able to uh, go fellowship at the open house there's something special about being able to laugh and and, and joke together um, together together what a blessing that that is and so paul says i want to see you but paul was, that was part of the empowering of them uh, he was going to encourage them in that moment, but notice what he says next in verse number 10. That and might perfect, and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now, I do not think that the Thess Thessalonians read this and said, boy, 
Paul's ratting on us. You know, Paul's getting, getting hard on us. Because something's lacking in our faith. Paul says, I want to come and I want to see you face to face that I might perfect that which is lacking in your, in your faith. Why was something lacking in their faith? Well, Paul had just spent three weekends with them. He had only been able to send Timothy over to encourage them. That's not very long. Think if you only had three weekends with a person that led you to Christ. Think about that. I mean, that's, that's a really short amount of time to be grounded in the faith. And he says, there's some things lacking, but what I find interesting is the word that Paul uses here, the Holy Spirit uses through Paul, and this word perfect is the idea to correct. And if you go over to Galatians chapter, in fact, I want you to, Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 1. Go backwards in your Bible, maybe 10 or 12 pages. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 1. Brethren, Galatians 6, 1. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, what's the next word? Restore. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what the picture is here? Paul says, I want to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Here, he writes to the Galatians and says, hey, uh, be concerned about restoring a person that's fallen down in the faith restore so there were some things that were broken or need to be corrected put together in their lives in their faith that paul says i want to come to you face to face and do that there's some things that perhaps paul did not put in this letter he says there's going to be it's going to be better done face to face when i can talk to you and encourage you and help restore that in you to build that together and to putting those pieces together in your mind and there's some, some things that a conversation just needs to be had. It can't just be a quick, it can't be a quick text. It needs, it's a conversation where you, your hearts get open and you can talk through the matter. And so here he says, I, I want to perfect that which is, is lacking in you, that, that state of need that is lacking in you. I want to be able to answer that question. I want to be able to answer and get down to the root of the issue. I want to be able to give you that counsel. I want to be able to teach you the truth that you need we want to interact together in that way. So God gifts, he gifts the church with spiritual leaders in order to perfect the saints. Isn't that what Ephesians 4 and 11 tells us? The apostles were a part of that. They were given to the church to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, to help, help nurture them. Now, the word there is different than the, uh, the perfect in, in our passage. Perfect in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 4 means to mature them. To mature them to help them along but we still get the idea and this is a gift to the church and paul was a gift to the thessalonians to help them on to help restore that or perfect that which was lacking in their lives but most significantly paul would do that through the ministry of the word taking what god had said and giving it to them the word the entrance of thy word gives light correct the entrance of thy word gives light gives illumination Helps us to know which way to go as believers. It strengthens us in our lives. But Paul would not just do that by the word of God. Paul would do that by prayer. Notice in verse 10, he continues on in this prayer that we're in the midst of, and he intercedes for these individuals. He intercedes for them. The power of intercession cannot be understated. 
and he intercedes for them. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. And he prays for them. He prays for them. He's praying night and day for them. And I want us to notice several things about this, this matter of prayer. Paul prays in a sustained way. It was night and day in verse number 10. It was a constant burden on his heart. Sometimes we think about pray without ceasing. Oh, I got to pray without ceasing. I, I got to make that happen. I got to add that into my day. We put a burden on our heart for somebody else or for a, a growth need in our heart. We won't have to schedule prayer. It'll just happen. Right? Prayer is a declaration of dependence. I find when I'm the most prayerful is when I'm the most needful. The problem is, is when I don't think I'm very needful. And then I, then I lack in prayer. Or I'm not attuned to the needs of others. Or I'm not attuned to the needs of others in a, in a spiritual way. I see the need, but I forgot that God has the answer to that need. Right? So he prayed in a sustained way. It was night and day. I, I, I hope that the Lord would grow us in the matter of prayer in the next year that he help us to be a more prayerful church for one another don't you that it'd be a night and day thing that it, it would consume us to pray for one another that we'd be very sensitive to the promptings of the holy spirit i want to grow in that way but it was serious prayer he he prayed exceedingly it wasn't now bless the food and bless everyone at the church amen it was exceedingly, it was, it, was, it was intense. Paul was burdened about this matter, and so he prayed exceedingly that he might see their face and perfect the things that are lacking towards them. It was an exceeding prayer. But it wasn't just that. It was a specific prayer. Lord, now you hear my desire. I'm asking you to direct my way toward them. The idea of direct was get all the hindrances out of the way. Make the way straight. You ever tried to, to, to set your mind on something and you said, this is what I'm going to do today and you got distracted by this thing and that thing and you, you began to live a reactive life, right? You're, you're constantly tending to the fires and putting them out and by the end of the day, you're like, I didn't get done what I wanted to get done. Paul says, I want you to make my way straight. I want you to remove the hindrances, Lord, and I want you to help me get to the Thessalonians to be able to help them. And he prays for them in that way and he prays specifically. Sometimes God puts burdens on our hearts and because we don't ask specifically for God's help and direction in the opening of doors, we don't see it happen. We're all very aware of what God did through the Grenada Bible Project. That burden was put on Brother Tom's heart. And we all began to pray, and churches around this country began to pray very, very specifically that God would raise this amount of money and that God would give us this many Bibles and that God would open up the doors with this, this on government and that he would uh, help the new government to get on board. And, you know, God uh, systematically answered those prayers. Amen. Now, we have some challenges ahead of us in, our own, in, in the growing of our own lives, but even just the, the functioning of our church. We need to learn to, um, to pray specifically about those things God puts a burden on our heart. Our first answer ought not be, well, I don't know, that's just not possible. You know the day in which we live, and, 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 and God doesn't work that way anymore. We ought to specifically pray about it. We ought to pray about it in that way together, specifically interceding. You see something in someone's life, rather than nitpicking it, specifically intercede on it. Lord, help me to be a help to them. Give me an open door to do that. But it was a selfless prayer as well, because he prayed that their love would grow. 
that their love, and he didn't say that their love toward him, but that their love would abound towards those in their community, toward all men, including the unsaved, even as our love towards you is abounding. And he prays specifically that their love would grow. This was not a self-serving prayer. This was a prayer because Paul had the heart of Jesus Christ. What was Christ's heart? This is my commandment, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, what's the rest of the verse? Even as I also love you. Paul's heart for them was that they would grow in the Lord. And I love the fact that Paul is interceding for them in this way. Maybe we're too trite with the words, I'm praying for you. Maybe we don't realize how, how valuable prayer is and how great of a work it is for one another. Maybe we don't value the time spent in prayer enough. Charles Bent said something that, that grabbed my attention. Intercessory prayer might be defined as love, loving our neighbor on our knees. I'll say it again, intercessory prayer might be defined as loving our neighbor on our knees. Well, we, are, we can be quick to criticize. We can be like Ezekiel I talked about, get hot in the spirit inside. I can be there before I ever pause and pray. I'm convicted by Paul saying, you know what? I'm going to just pause and pray night and day exceedingly. I, I want God to open up the way for me to, to get to you and help perfect your faith and to be where I need to be to, to be able to strengthen you. What if we prayed that way? I mean, honestly, what if we prayed that way? We see something going on in a person's life, uh, uh, some area of lack going on in their life. What if we prayed that, God, would you open up the doors? I'm praying for them night and day. Would you set up the opportunity? Would you help me to, to, um, to, to be with them and help them to grow in your love and in love towards others what would change the way that we solve problems intercessory prayer is the greatest action and paul exercised it and he told him he did this is what i'm praying for you this is what i'm praying that the lord would bring me to you i'm praying for you in this way r.a tory said prayer can do anything that god can do And sometimes we sit back and we look at um, people problems, relational problems, or growth, uh, spiritual growth problems, and we just, we, we fret. And we wring our hands and we talk about the matter rather than going to the Lord and saying, Lord, you see the issue at, at, at hand. And we fail to pray about it. First Samuel 12 and verse 23, Samuel said to the Israelites, God forbid, that's a powerful thing, God forbid that I should sin against thee in not praying for you. Well, he's a spiritual leader. I think we can all pray for one another, can't we? We should, as God brings him to our heart. But I want us to wrap this up with this thought. Paul's praying for them. He's interceding for them. Notice how, how far he wants God to make them steadfast in their faith. Notice in verse number 13. Notice how he says, I, I want to see this happen to the end that he, God, might establish your hearts unblameably, unblameable in holiness before God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. What is Paul saying? Here's my goal. 
here's the purpose. I'm praying for you. Here's the purpose of me wanting to come and be with you and encourage your faith and strengthen your faith and encourage your love towards one another and towards all men. My goal is that you would be steadfast in your faith and steadfast in doing what God says for you to do before God. Before God. The extent of their steadfastness, first of all, was before God. You know, we can appear steadfast before one another. That person always has it together. They seem like they, they're spiritually together. They're together in the family. They, all, they always just have it together. We can appear steadfast before others. But it's another thing to be steadfast before God. Paul wasn't asking God or encouraging them to be steadfast before Timothy or the other believers, but he wanted to make them steadfast before God. What's our goal in helping people? That they, they align, that they snap to our expectations, or that they get aligned with God and they're steadfast before God? You know, some of you are in discipleship. Others of you are praying about helping out in discipleship. We want to be a disciple-making church, but you know a disciple-making church isn't concerned with getting a disciple to look like them. It's to get them connected to the Holy Spirit of God and help them to walk with the Lord. One of the things I always tell the, on disciples and disciplers, if, if they can get into the Word and get connected to the Holy Spirit, we're home free. Because if God has the hold of their ears with his word and the Holy Spirit's prompting them and they're listening to the Holy Spirit and they know what it is to be nudged by the Holy Spirit of God, what more? What more? You talk about a, a faith that is, that is set up for true spiritual success. And so Paul is saying, I, I don't want you to be steadfast before me. I want to help you be steadfast before God. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. We're far too worried about what other people think. The fear of man is a snare, isn't it? That's what Proverbs says. I think we read that this past week. Far too worried. We need to be worried about what God thinks and what our lives are before him. Hey, even in your own life, what other people think here, even in this room, is irrelevant if it's not true before God. If, if you're, you're wavering in your faith and you're putting on that, hey, I got it all together, before God, you're not very steadfast. You're struggling. Boy, friend, I encourage you. Uh, allow some believers to come alongside it and, and, and get you strong in the Lord. His prayer was that they would be strong before the Lord, that they'd be unblameable before the Lord. Let's catch some of these words. He says, I, I want you to be established in your hearts. Not just in your actions, but established, rooted in your hearts. Sometimes we're more concerned about our actions than our attitudes inside of our hearts. He says, I want you to be established inside of your heart, rooted there. It's easy to, to waver inside of our heart. He says, I want you to be rooted there. But how? Unblameable in holiness. Paul's not saying, I want you to be sinless. He's saying, I want you to be unblameable. One author put it this way, that this blamelessness is that after they sinned, they would deal with their sin as God requires and so be free from any reasonable charge by their fellow men. Did you catch that? It's really, really important. I could not have said it better. I like what they said, and here's the quote again. 
that after they had sinned, they would deal with it as God requires so as to be free from any reasonable, reasonable charge by their fellow men. You know, God calls us to be blameless. He calls us to hold forth the word of life in a blameless way. That means you and I deal with the sin as he tells us to. If we confess it, say the same thing about it as he says, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we wrong somebody, we go to them and make it right. I'm sorry, I was wrong for, please forgive me. And so Paul says, I want you to be unblameable, not just before men, I want you to be unblameable before God who sees all things. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Are we not all open to the, to the God who sees all things? Well, Hebrews 4.13 says, we're, we're all naked and open unto the God with whom we have to do. He says, I want, you to be, I want you to be steadfast before him. I want that to be the extent. I love this also. One author said, the, the result of love in this life, this love that Paul prayed for, this love to abound and increase, the result of love in this life is blamelessness in the next. So how, how does that connect? You know, when you and I love somebody, we don't sin against them. Now follow me. The Bible says in Romans 13 and verse number 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. You know what we're in, in desperate straits in, in our world? A lack of love. Isn't it evident everywhere you look? How could somebody walk into Walmart and start firing a gun? How could someone abandon a baby? We, we, we see an unbelievable lack of love. Jesus said, in my church, that's what you're going to be known for, known by. You're going to be known as my, my followers if you have love one for another. And so Paul says, listen, that love that I'm praying for and I'm wanting to see increase and abound in your life, uh, that, that very love is going to result and set you up to stand before the Lord unblameable. And love doesn't work any ill. It doesn't sin against its neighbor. Another passage of Scripture, James 2 and verse 8, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. You do well. How are you going to be blameless before the Lord? Walking in love towards him and towards others. Keep you out of a lot of trouble, won't it? So do we need to grow in love? I'd say, compared to Christ, we all need to grow in love. Do we need to make sure that we're growing in love as a church family? Yes. Yes. May the Lord help us. But how long did Paul hope that they would be steadfast until Christ returned at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints? Until Christ returns. Whether that's tomorrow, 15 years from now, May God help us to be steadfast until he returns. As was Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. I want you to stand fast, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that promise, that he's going to continue to work in us. But Paul's desire was they wouldn't just be steadfast for a week or while their children were growing up, but that they'd be steadfast until the Lord Jesus Christ comes for them. So, had they failed? Did they have some lack? Yeah. And Paul says, I want to I help you. I want to help perfect your faith. I want to help supply that which is lacking. And for us, you know, we fail. And what do we need to do? 
We need to get up. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. Ready? Get up. Get right. Keep on going until the day of Jesus Christ. You might fail this week. What should you do? Get up. Make it right. Keep on going. That's what love would do. That's what love would do. I find two things in this passage of Scripture in closing that Paul was concerned about. Their faith and their love. Their faith and their love. He wanted to make sure they were steadfast in their faith, and that's the whole reason he sent Timothy up there. And he says, I live if you're steadfast in the Lord. I live if you're steadfast in the faith. I live if you're allowing it to be perfected. And was it going to be an allowance on their part, a submission to Paul, as he came into town and said, hey, I want, I want you to think about it this way. I want you to listen to this truth from Scripture. Yeah, it was going to take some, some humility on their part to allow him to bring perfection to their faith or uh, to give them what they, they needed. Don't bristle against it. Invite it. We all need to be perfected in the faith. Paul was concerned about that. But he was praying that their love would increase and unbound all the more. And I say we ought to ask the Lord to give us a greater love for one another, for him, so that we might stand blamelessly before him in the last day. That we might stand steadfast until Jesus Christ comes. Two things that Paul, Paul was really focused on in this passage of Scripture. And may the Lord help us in these ways. We want to be steadfast until Jesus comes, don't we? The decisions that we make this week affect that. Our time in the Word affects that. How we deal with family problems or interpersonal relationships this week affects that. That's not for next month. It's this week. The future is determined by the decisions I make today. So let's be steadfast today so that we can be steadfast tomorrow and we can continue on in the Lord, especially in our faith and in our love. May the Lord help us with this, and I just invite us to pray a simple prayer tonight before we leave. Lord, help me to be steadfast until you come. That was Paul's prayer for them. So much good stuff in Paul's desire for them. Lord, help me to be steadfast until you come. Help me to be growing in my faith. Help me to allow it to be perfected. Help me to receive from others and spiritual leaders that which would perfect my faith. Help me to abound and increase in love. Would you bow right now and just talk to the Lord for a few moments here tonight before we leave? Ask him for that steadfast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.